Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control BallQuest.com mailbag podcast on this Thursday. Brent Hubs, along with Austin Price and Rob Lewis, glad to have you along with us. Don't forget to check out our friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Remember, you can give them a buzz at 865-299-2290 or check them out online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. Check out the reviews. You'll find out all the great work they've been doing for people in the area. If your air conditioning has any needs, needs to be cleaned out, needs to be fueled up, needs a repair job, uh, needs a new unit, whatever, they can take care of you at Blue Water Climate Control. So be sure and check them out. We thank them for their continued support at BallQuest.com and of the podcast. All right, fellows. Uh, one thing before we drop into jump into questions, I know a lot of people have been asking about this, whether it be some kind of watch party or something to that effect outside of Lindsey Nelson Stadium Saturday, Sunday, Monday in regards to the Super Regional. Made some calls uh, late Wednesday night just to kind of see where that was. There has been some legitimate discussions about it. Nothing's been finalized. We'll see what comes of it or doesn't come of it, but it is something that has been talked about uh, within the athletic department. I know Tony Vitello had indicated uh, he thinks something like that's going to happen um, in an interview he did. Um, and and I, that are, he believes that because of the discussion that's been going on uh, within the university. So we'll see what happens there in terms of if they get something lined up or doesn't. Are they? Yeah, we just make. Sure, I just want to make sure everybody check the um, the VolQuest the, the newsletter, the email newsletter for the information about the t- the tickets being extra tickets being released Friday. Yeah, no, 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 no. Don't start that madness. There are no extra tickets. Tickets are gone, and um, it's obviously going to be a raucous crowd. And I'll ask this as a mailbag question: What, what do you guys think of Tony Vitello's kind of when when asked about? the LSU comments and everything else. It, his his give-a-care factor seemed to be pretty low, Rob Lewis, in, in terms of what other people think about his program at this particular point. Yeah, he's – I mean, I, and, you know, add that in with, you know, the post-game fracas with the Arkansas head coach. And, I mean, you just see why, why fans love him. I mean, those are two great examples. You know, put that together with him running into the stands the other night and, you know, high-fiving and shoving people. And, uh, you know, he's – Talk about holding all the cards in a, in a negotiation with your athletic director right now. Good gracious. AP, he's the man of the people, that's for sure. Well, I, I, you know, he and his team, I mean, you saw Evan Russell come out on uh, good point. on Wednesday and and, in, and basically embraced embraced being the villain. That's what he said. I it, Basically, to quote the great Razor Ramon, say hello to the bad guy. And, <laughs> and, and, and they're really embracing that. You know, kind of an old school 90s wrestling heel you know, they're embracing being the team that everybody wants to hate on, except for the people you have in your in your in your foxhole. And, you know, everybody in this foxhole right now is hugely behind this team, hugely behind Tony Vitello. And that's why it will be a, a, a madhouse around Lindsey Nelson Stadium Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Yeah, they can't build the yes, foxhole. Monday. Yeah, they can't build the foxhole big enough. That's for sure right now. All right, let's jump into questions here. First one out of the gate is a recruiting question, Austin. How close are Terrence Elder and Jeremiah Flemings from getting a UT offer? Man, I don't know. Uh, Edler, you know, kind of, you know, got hurt at at night at Neyland. But Tennessee, again, has seen him run in the state track meet. So the speed stuff's not big of that not big is, is, you know, not really a factor now. I think Tennessee would love to have seen him compete and go against other players. I think that probably hurt him a little bit. Um, if I'm Tennessee, I'm still slow on him. There's no reason to to jump and react and and and, and kind of you know go overboard. I would continue to recruit him, recruit him solid, 
but I wouldn't be pushing or anything like that. Um, as far as the kid from East Hamilton, um, you know, uh, I, I I thought he was dynamite, man. I really I'm surprised Tennessee hadn't offered, but again, he don't have a whole lot, so why why rush things? And uh, you know, uh, we talk always talk about like, well, you know, you got to recruit different. You know, kids aren't just going to get in the boat when you offer in the state. He might have, Brent. I mean, like he was feeling pretty good the other night, and he should have been. He camped great um, and, and looked very much the part and uh, did so at a position that, you know, let's face it, he don't play. He plays quarterback. Yeah, he does, and that's going to be hard for him to generate a ton of buzz this fall in the evaluation if he has a camp places. So getting him on campus for camp uh, was big for him and big for Tennessee. So we'll see what happens with that one moving forward. Can Tennessee – uh, baseball continues strong fan support for years to come, or is the support because fans are so desperate for a winner? Rob Lewis? I think, I, short answer, yes. I think they can continue getting strong fan support. Now, if they had an Arkansas-sized stadium with 11,500, would they sell that out every weekend during SEC play? I don't know. I mean, they might come close. But this year's team, I just think it's been a perfect storm. People With COVID, people were desperate to, to be able to get out you know, attend games, you know, have that in-person live experience. This team and this head coach are incredibly easy to root for. I mean, you love everything about it for the, the way, you know, they're come from behind, never say die, stuff the dramatic way that they've won some of these games, Vitello's personality. So, you know, I don't – again, I think this year was a perfect storm. I don't know if you'll see this kind of frenzied level of support year in and year out, but I would wager that if Tennessee had a 10,000-seat stadium – and was a top five baseball program consistently, I think they'd sell that thing out for SEC games. You know, it's interesting, Austin. I, I think that's the real challenge. As, as Danny White made it clear, they're going to do something stadium-wise um, with Lindsey Nelson Stadium, and he's going to listen to Tony Vitello. He's not necessarily going to go off the renderings we've seen. Um, one of the things he talked about in his press conference on Wednesday is finding that balance of size. And I think, I think that is interesting because you're seeing football stadiums being downsized. Okay. Tennessee's, I mean, Needland stadium is going to be smaller when you put in chairback seats in the West side um, and you put in that jumbotron where they're going to put it and move some people around there and, and eliminate some seats. So you're seeing some venues get smaller yet in sec baseball, they built kind of mega venues in baseball. Uh, so I, I think that is an interesting balance for Tony Vitello and, and Danny White, as they look forward for, for what facilities are going to look like, is how big's big enough without going and being too big when, when, in terms of, of renovations and, and additions to the stadium? Well, I mean, what can they feasibly handle? I mean, I, I get they can park people all over campus, but, you know, I mean, uh, I think, what, seven to eight? I mean, if that's basically doubling your size, you know. I mean, I can't see them going to nine or 10,000. It just seems like, I mean, first of all, Lindsey Nelson, how you how you expand it, even if you expand it down the lines, really to, to grow it much more, um, you're going to have to go up, right? I mean, you, there's no really room to go out. You have streets all around it. Yeah, I think you could pretty – I mean, I, I don't think that it would be a big deal to close the road, run up behind the frat houses, just just blow that up. I mean, how – is that that really be a huge deal? I don't know. I mean, I don't use that road. We're on campus all the time. Wouldn't, that wouldn't affect me at all. Yeah, I mean, you could. I'll remember. It. Quick story. When I have a student there, he doesn't use it. I'll, 
I'm sorry. I was going to say, Brent. I was going to say, quick story about that 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 parking lot back there behind the center field fence. Hubs, don't you remember when Pruitt first got here? He didn't want us on campus, okay? Didn't want us on campus because that's how they did it at Alabama. Now, year two, it drastically changed. We were coming to camps. But that first year, we we were back there. They were dropping kids off in that gravel parking lot back there behind the uh, the right field, right center field wall. And I told Hubs, this is a new low. I was like, I can't do it. We left. Like, I was like, I can't do this. I can't, like, sabotage kids at their car. I just, I, like, I, I have no problem doing a public interview in the street, but that just felt different. I, it just did, and I'll never forget it. And luckily, it changed, and, and, and everything got better from there. It, it did. We certainly jumped out, and it was bizarre jumping out. Hey, walking through a parking lot. Hey, how you doing? Can I interview you for a minute? It was uh, – it was a very <laughs> odd, very odd thing for sure. It was, I'm with you. It was, it was a low point in terms of following recruiting because it just startled everybody the way you did it. They would drop them off of a golf cart or up them out of a van. And here we were sabotaged them as they got to their car, basically. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, Rob, I mean, you could close that road. I mean, you got to leave it the top half of that road open so you can get it out of the parking garage. Uh, but we'll see what that number looks like. And, and clearly there's going to be some renovations. And clearly I think the fans are going to support this program as long as they have fun and play and the style of baseball that Tony Vitello has had, not just this year, but really since he's been here. All right. Let's yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's all about success. I mean, if you build it up and then, you know, then Vitello leaves or suddenly, you know, Tennessee becomes mediocre, then it looks like Thompson Bowling Arena would be used and I think that's where you have to balance the size and, and why you don't want to get too big because you, you know, you, you don't want to. And, and here's the other thing too, from a size standpoint, I mean, the downtown stadium, I think is going to be about 9,000, you know, so you could, I mean, you could play a big series over there or something over there if you, if you needed to uh, perhaps, um, but lots of discussion taking place and will take place at season's end on what that's going to look like. Back to recruiting to go. I was curious, I was curious, is this staff recruiting alcohol alignment, Lance Williams. Also, are they trying to get him to visit as well as, uh, is it, is it Carl Grubbs or Kale Grubbs? Kale Grubbs. Kale Grubbs. All right, AP. Well, he's going to be on campus later today, right? Yep. By the time you're listening to this, he'll be on the way from Alcoa over to campus for the O-line D-line camp. So yeah, he'll, he'll get to work with uh, Glenn Edelby uh, this morning and then today at the O-line D-line camp. We'll see what happens. You know, Tennessee is yet to offer. Um, you know, he's motivated and he wants to earn an offer and kind of prove Tennessee's been too slow. Now, I would argue that Lance played last year way overweight. And, you know, I think he's in way better shape now. And I expect a better Lance Williams when we see him at camp today. I really do. I expect him to really ball um, last year. And because Alcoa doesn't play a super tough schedule, I mean, outside of playing Maryville and DB and, and, and Blackman, now nah, I don't even count Blackman, um, you know, they just don't play a super tough schedule. So he could get away with being a little bit overweight, but that was because there was no COVID. He had, you know, had got injured and was overcoming injury, all that type of thing. He appears like he's way better and, and in way better shape, has lost significant amount of weight and looks really good, Brown. Yep. And we'll see what, what, how camp goes for him and, and kind of where things are. He's got a bunch of other Correct. camps he's going to go to. He was at Clemson already for, for one camp. Look for him to be at Georgia and Alabama as well. Grubbs, uh, yeah, they're recruiting him. I mean, it's somebody that they're looking at. I mean, I wouldn't say it's, you know, head over heels, but, you know, somebody they're definitely looking at. All right. Uh, next question. Thoughts on Walter Nolan. Will Marlon Walls join him at his high school? Got a little AP, more. AP, you got, got anything little, good here? 
We got a little Walter Nolan, Nolan story coming later today, right? Yes, we will have a Walter Nolan story at noon. Um, so that's, we'll go ahead and tease it now. Walter Nolan did a fi- uh, unofficially visit Tennessee last week, uh, that being last Wednesday, um, and, and uh, before he went to the Florida visit. And Tennessee's, you know, quietly in there. I think there's a real good shot. He gives them an official visit at some point in the very near future. And, uh, you know, again, I don't want to overdo this and make you feel like that Tennessee's all of a sudden getting Walter Nolan because I don't think that's necessarily the case. But they are way more of a factor now than they were two months ago. The kid admitted that to me uh, in, in the story that will run coming, around, coming up around lunchtime. And, uh, you know, I think he's wanting to get something done by August. He went down to Florida. It was his first visit. He got emotional, was feeling the vibes. That's why the tweet happened. Um, the tweet that said he Florida, was things down, right? Yeah, correct. Um, you know, because he, he's just tired. Like he, he's tired of the hoopla. He's got everybody he wants to get. I mean, like Texas A&M just offered him the other day, wants him to come for a visit now. I mean, like, I think he's just kind of the point, like, okay, let's focus this thing in on, you know, three, four schools, five schools, and – put this thing to bed and I think that's just kind of where he's at he's not somebody that tweets a lot he's not somebody that that needs the gratification of all the offers it's just not who he is and uh you know I think he's to that point where you know he wants to settle things down and and start working towards a decision and Tennessee thanks to Rodney Garner has slowly pulled themselves back into this thing again long way to go Tennessee's still going to have to dot a lot of I's cross a lot of T's um but they are again in it where they weren't in it at all two months ago. And I think there's a chance that he's playing football in East Tennessee and Marlon Walls is coaching football in East Tennessee come this fall. We'll see how that works out. But I think that's possible, possible, possible. I think, I think the playing thing is, yeah, very, very possible or more, more even probable. I think Marlon coaching, that's more up in the air in my opinion. I, I think it's, it's possible. I would not call it probable. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and in fact, I would probably lean, you know, it's 50-50 at best, in my opinion. All right. Uh, Army Clerk wants to know how Ben's initiation to VolQuest is coming and wants to welcome him to the general's quarters. I think Ben's doing a great job mowing Austin's lawn. Uh, he's mulched. He's done a lot of good things for Austin in addition to covering baseball. So uh, I, I, think, I think Ben's working his way through basic. Uh, he's got to go to tech school with Austin, which probably includes some lighting, a little pressure washing work. But, but Rob, I think he's coming along pretty well. Still, still has to bite the head off the chicken at the, at the uh, before he gets the t-shirt. Hey, I, if, if, I wonder who asked this question because I you can only see our group text. Like I don't give Kane near the hard time that I give Ben. Um, like Kane will get a, a recruit on the phone and I'll be like, Ben, are you going to do any work today? You know, and 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 you know Ben can handle it. He gives it back to me, so it 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 it, it works well. Yep, and obviously both those guys are doing great work. Are, are you are you are you saying Kane couldn't handle it, AP? That's why you that's why you take it out on Ben. I, I'm saying that Eric's mental psyche, I think, is more fragile than Ben. A little, soft, <laughs> a little softer than Ben. All right, let's move on here. How many corners does Tennessee need to sign in 22? Austin, what uh, corners? What two, three, four? I mean, they probably oh, I would see us five defensive backs. That's not that doesn't mean five corners. I, I think they they have to sign three corners. Okay. I think threes, threes at bare minimum. All right. How are the Vols looking with Antonio Gates Jr.? And what are some linebacker and defensive back prospects that the Vols are in good shape with in the 22 class? Well, you know, uh, I think they're in better shape now 
without Davy and Collins. You know, the fact he was able here last week, um, I think that's a good thing. I think Joshua Josephs, Tennessee's in a good shape for him. Now he's more of an outside guy, and a, you know, he's not really like an in, inside backer. Um, you know, uh, corners are kind of a weird position because, like, you know, they want to be in play with Kamari Rogers. You know, we'll see what happens there. He's been getting a lot of Miami buzz the past few days. Um, you know, Tennessee's trying to recruit a couple of corners from the state of Georgia, you know, Collins being one of them. Um, you know, we'll see how this thing plays out. Uh, really, you know, I think Cody Jones was somebody that the staff had looked hard at the last six weeks or so. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, if, if that thing might not have just stalled out a little bit. So we'll see uh, kind of where they are. All right. Vol Rocker, Vol Rocker wants to know the best Tim Preach story that I've never told. Also, love it when you do your Where Are They Now articles on former Vols. Do you plan to do those in the fall? Is Johnny Jones still a police officer in Mumford? Thanks. Um, we might revive some of the Where Are They Nows this fall. We'll, we'll see how, how that goes. We've done some of those, and, um, you know, that, that's always a possibility. I don't know that I've got a Tim, great Tim Preach story that I've never told. Um, one of the things I didn't put in the column that I started to was um, – Tim Priest, love, we, we love to have a good critique of press box meals, uh, of, of who had the best and, and, and were those. Those were always uh, fun. Um, Notre Dame, hands down, had the best press box meal in Tim Priest's eyes because they, they had some rosemary chicken, rotisserie chicken when we went up there. And uh, for years after that, we talked about that. I, you know, I, I think the one thing about Tim for me is – he would always get to a point and not always, but when Tennessee was rolling, he would get to a point about midway through the fourth quarter. And he'd, if it was a close game, he would have that moment in that field where he'd turn to me and he'd hit me on the arm and say, Hey, Tennessee's going to win. And I'm like, there's a whole lot of football left to be played. And he's like, Nope, Tennessee's going to win. We're good here. So uh, Tim was fun to be around. I, I mentioned this, you know, for 22 years, I got to sit beside him. Uh, everybody's heard the clip of the Florida and, and the frustration he had with the interception there uh, for as, as angry as he was there, he was probably angrier um, in Tuscaloosa in 05 when Tennessee lost six, three jumped off sides going in at, at first and first and goal there. Um, but for those two anger moments, his excitement and euphoria from the Jalen Tabor call to um I guess it was 01 when Tennessee held the ball for about 12 minutes in the fourth quarter in Tuscaloosa and, and Tim being from where he was in Huntington, the Alabama game is, is the game for him. It, it's more important than the Florida game or any of the other games. That was the game. And for Tennessee and, and Philip Fulmer to with Travis Stevens and that crew for them to road grade Alabama in the fourth quarter, the way they did, that was, he strutted, out of Bryant Denny Stadium that that afternoon that evening he 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 had his chest stuck out pretty good he he was really excited um, with, with the way that his team played that day but anyway he he was just he was just a fun guy to be around and and certainly going to miss him uh, on game days and miss him on road trips as well all right Hunter wants to know uh, the article about Jalen Glover had this quote quote Coach Max message to me was that I can bring something different to the roster I can flex out and I'm very versatile. Uh, I could have a shot at making an early impact. They said, if I come in and maintain that versatility, the coaching staff said they only have one guy on the depth chart that can do it all. And he's at the top hearing that was very appealing. Uh, Hunter wants to know who that one guy coach Mac is, who he's, re who he's re referring to. I don't, I don't know. have any idea. 
I don't have any idea. I, I think mean, the most I think the most versatile guy on the running back roster is Jalen Wright, but I don't think I, I wouldn't sit here and say he's at the top of their of their depth chart either. I agree. I mean, I, I don't know who he's talking about. I mean, it's recruiting. I mean, like all right. these coaches that's, across that's, America that's sell say. sell a hope and a dream, and you know, I yeah, it is what it is. That's that's what that's what that's what all recruiting doesn't matter if you're, you're not going to tell Idaho kid, or that's, Tennessee or Alabama. Well, I mean, you're, that's, that's exactly what you're. You're going to tell the kid we got one or none. You're not going to say well, we got four guys could do just what you're doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll be number five when you arrive. Yeah, that's not how it works. All right, Tim Ken, nineteen eighty five, wants to know: Is the transfer portal the worst thing to happen to college football in the past twenty years? I think just having to constantly recruit your own players has and will drive good coaches out of college, make the product worse. Rob Lewis is a transfer portal. The worst thing to happen to college football in 20 years. I'm, I mean, it's probably the worst thing for coaches, but I'm for it for players and have been strongly. I mean, just, I mean, these are 18, 19 year old kids. I mean, did anybody make a decision when they were 18 that, you know, they regret and wish, you know, wish wouldn't impact them for the next three or four years. I mean, I'm a freshman, you know, the kid just wrapped up his freshman year at UT. If he wants to decides he wants to go to Alabama in the fall, he can go. I mean, why shouldn't somebody – why should another 18-, 19-year-old kid not be able to make that decision just because he plays football? Here's the deal, though. The problem is, is it ain't like they mature a lot between 18 and 20, so they really aren't an, aren't capable of making the decision when, when they're 20 either. So, I mean, like, I agree with you 100%. 100% agree that, that it's a good thing for the kids, but at the same time, the reasons that most are transferring are so misguided, that's why there's, you know – uh, a million of them in the transfer portal that can't find a home. But I think the SEC's addendum to putting the February 1st deadline. Yeah, I think that helps. I think it helps huge. balance it out. I mean, because they're still having to recruit kids right now, this year, because the deadline's what, July 1. I mean, I, I think that's big, big for the SEC. That you yeah, don't... I, yeah I, I think it's huge. Um, and, and again, I mean, I think you've gotten to the point the last few years where enough guys were winning waivers. That, that kids weren't afraid to transfer or, or weren't as hesitant about transferring as they once were. So transfer numbers have been on the rise for a while. Uh, obviously, the portal makes it easier for, for them to transfer. I do think at some point in time that it'll balance some things out. You know, uh, it, it really will um, from, you know, from the standpoint of enough kids aren't going to land at the, the type of schools that they're hoping for when they go into the portal. And, and, you know, you guys know this. I mean, recruits talk to recruits, right? And so if somebody talks to a guy who went through the process and he's like, yeah, I didn't, you know, it didn't go the way I wanted, it, it might create some guys to slow down that process a little bit. It'll never, it'll never be like it was 30 years ago, you know, when, when a, a small handful of people transferred. That's just not the world we live in, okay? I mean, how many people, regular people, you know, I shouldn't say regular people, but how many professionals, Rob, work one job for 30 years, you, you know, but, but, but 25, 30 years ago, that wasn't nearly as uncommon to say the guy's a 30 year veteran of some company, you know, these days you don't, you don't hear that much anymore. I mean, people are more willing to move around and, and, and change, you know, things in their career, even later on in life. So um, I, I think it's part of it. I don't know that it's the worst thing. Um, it's, it's a challenging thing for coaches um, just like name image likeness is going to be a challenging thing for everybody out there as well. So the landscape is changing, 
what the end result of that product is going to be remains to be seen. I I can't sit here today and say that the transfer portal is definitely going to make the product worse. I think a lot of, or not a lot, but some good coaches, particularly assistant coaches have left the college game, Austin, because of how you've had to recruit the last 10 years and the recruiting cycle being 365 days a year. And there's no break from it. I, I think that's, I think good coaches have found life in the NFL to go, you know what? I may stay here. It's not half bad because I don't have the stress of recruiting and I don't have the, the workload of recruiting that a college coach has. If you're an assistant coach and you're a good recruiter, it's literally 365 days a year without. Yeah. If you're doing it right, if you're doing it right, it is, you know, and especially in this league. So um, I'm with you. I mean, I, you know, Talk to a guy like Zach Azani. I mean, he loved his time at Tennessee, but, you know, he loves the NFL even more. And he's been in a fr- two franchises that do the coaching pension. And, you know, after this fall, he'll have five years in the league and he'll be getting that coaching pension. So, you know, kudos to him, kudos to any of those guys that, you know, can find life, which allows you to have more family time, especially when you have kids like Zach does. Yep. He's, he's, he's got to spend more time with his three girls. I guess it's three girls than, than, in the NFL life than he ever would have in the college life. That's for I sure. I don't, think, I don't think there's any comparison. Yeah, there's none at all. Uh, Shannon Blair, did he miss out on getting a scholarship offer? Did he perform poorly at camp? Didn't camp at corner. <clears throat> Simple as that. He, he, he sat at receiver the entire time. They asked him to flip over and play corner, and he was slow doing it. And by the time he decided to do it, the horn blew and the camp was over. And he didn't so, run great either, did he? He didn't run great. He didn't run terrible, but he didn't run great. And, uh, you know, I think there's a chance he tries to give it another go before the end of the month. We'll see. I know if he comes back, he'll be working out at corner when he comes back. I don't know why he worked out a receiver. I, I think that the corner is what he is. I think that's what Michigan State's recruiting him as. They are. And he was, I've, I've, you know. I've spoken with people around West, and Michigan State's recruiting him there. Virginia's recruiting him there. Vandy's recruiting him there. I mean, I sit there and watched it happen, and I'm like, what, what's he doing? Like, you know, it's like I, I get it. I mean, like, you know, I mean, I think I'm – 200 pounds and chiseled but i'm not i'm 255 pounds and fat so i mean like i mean like he's gonna be what you are I and mean, he's a corner so you know it kind of is what it is we'll see what happens with him the rest of this month and we'll see how evaluations of him go this fall as well uh volgrad 05 any re- interesting recruiting stories from the early 2000s worth telling anything with guys like swain meacham smith etc you might want to go first because I'll tell the Rob Meacham story. But if you got one on okay. the head, go say, ahead. If not, by, I, well, I still remember. I just want to say I would have set the Meacham story up. I remember like that super secret official visit. Tennessee had it. He was at a basketball game, and I can remember walking on my way to a Buzz Peterson press conference and just glancing down a tunnel and seeing you and Robert Meacham. <laughs> yep, uh, it's the only conversation I ever had with Robert Meacham before he signed. He didn't talk in the recruiting process. Uh, he did come in for a midweek visit to Tennessee, which was a surprise. I got him at the basketball game to tell me that Tennessee was in it. Everyone thought he was going to go to Oklahoma. On signing day, um, I got word from somebody at Tennessee that they thought Meacham was going to sign with Tennessee, but they everybody had to pull the old hubs famous I gotta I gotta believe it to see it or I gotta see it to believe it um deal and so what I did was about 11 between 11 and 12 
threw out on the message board. And this is why everybody asks on signing day, are there any surprises? It's the Robert Meacham rule. Um, so I put out between 11 and 12 because Tennessee was done. And everybody said, you know, are they done for the day? Is there anything left? I said, I think they're done. But Robert Meacham bears watching in the afternoon because he, he, he committed at like 2 o'clock. He signed at like 2 o'clock his time. And he did not sign paperwork early. He signed at his press conference. It wasn't the old fake signature. It was the legit signature at his press conference. So two o'clock rolls around. Jeremy Crabtree is in Oklahoma um, at Roberts High School covering the press conference. I'm talking to him on instant messenger. And I said, watch Tennessee here. I think it's a possibility. And Crab's like, everybody says it's Oklahoma. Meacham puts on a Tennessee hat. There were boos in his high school when he picked Tennessee and he signed with Tennessee. So the Meacham story, that's how that went. The other one is Julian Battle, who's the only guy I've ever seen to sign two national letters of intent on signing day. His mom just didn't sign the first one, so they could, they could void that one out. And he signed the, the second one late in the afternoon, and his mom signed it down in Florida, and that's how Julian Battle ended up at Tennessee instead of NC State. I, I was a freshman in college. And you were on Channel 8 the first time around um, with Rick Russo. And I remember y- that was kind of your breaking news on, on, on the TV that night was that they had signed two letters of intent and they were still trying to sort it all out. Julian Battle. That's- who, was the, who was the linebacker that got stuck here because of a snowstorm for like four or five days and Tennessee thought they were going to get him? He was, I think he was from South Carolina, ended up going to Florida State and played for the Steelers for a long time. Was a really good NFL player. I cannot remember his name. Oh, yes, that's exactly right. He got stuck. He could not go over the mountain. And Tennessee thought it was going to help him. And they they ended up having like, I mean, they talked to him for hours the night before signing day and he ended up going with Florida State. And holy smokes, I will I will find it and I will put it. I mean, he's like a Pro Bowl player. Yeah, I, I will can't put it. I will answer. I will put his name in the post here when I figure that out after after we finish after we finish this deal. Oh, that's but killing me. I'm going to remember who that is, and when I when when it happens, it's going to be like, oh, of course it was. Um, but I can't remember that right off the top of my head. All right, last couple. We got to get out the gate here. Um, what exactly does an official visit entail? Where do they eat? What do they do? It can't be all business. What do they do for fun? Speak with some academic sides. Austin, you talked about this a little bit in the podcast. Smart move by Tennessee last, last week to bring a small number in because this staff is trying to gain and understand, you know, every, all, what works and what doesn't work on official visits at Tennessee. So everybody does it different. Um, and we'll see exactly what official visits look like for Tennessee with this staff. And having official visits in the summertime at Tennessee is different than having official visits in the wintertime. So, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's different, but it's just all paid for by the universities, the bottom line, with official visits. Well, you can incorporate the outside much more this time of year than you can in December. So, like, you know, um, there, there's going to be some form of bowling or whatever. They'll do it a downtown restaurant it used to be five bar. Then it was Ruth's Chris. I mean, it's different, different things. Um, I'll never forget my favorite Ruth's Chris story was when uh, Chris Morris, the offensive lineman who signed with Texas A&M held up his uh, steak at Ruth's Chris like Simba and said, Oh, <laughs> that was a, that was a peach. Um, 
but uh yeah i mean it's just different i mean yeah they take the tours of campus they do the photo shoots they hang out they they do stuff um you know uh, family a lot of times they'll do some type of family get together uh, with all the official visitors that way the moms and dads can all kind of hang out and uh spend time together so i mean like you know, I expect that to be much the same, whether no matter what staff's here. I mean, you're going to have some form of kind of recreation, some form of a family type get together. That way, you know, you know, like next weekend when the Brewbakers and Nichols family are here, you know, the Brewbakers and Nichols family can hang out together and, you know, maybe their kids will want to come together and, you know, and they can kind of strike up a friendship and a bond. So, you know, it's all about creating relationships and they, uh, that's what they're doing. It's a lot different on the basketball side because it's they can spend so much more one-on-one time with the head coach and the staff yeah. because you're not bringing in, you know, 10, 8, 10, 12 guys every time. Lawrence Timmons, Hubber. There it is, Lawrence Timmons. Thank you. All right, and, I can move on now. And I, I, I want to say real quick, uh, the basketball side, I'd say this is some degree true of the football side as well, but they can – I mean, the coaches can't be in the gym watching them. But when an official visitor comes in, at some point in time, they're going to play with the team. They're going to play five on five. They're going to get after it. They're going to spend some time just as, as college kids, you know, away from parents and coaches. And I'm sure it's like this everywhere, but it's especially true here. Like after that, the assistant coaches or, or the players themselves are, are taking initiative. They're like, Hey man, this kid was great. He's, he's, you know, he, he fits in. We all liked him. And I know of multiple instances where players have gone to the coach and staff and said, Hey, he, He's not good. He's not. He's not like us. He he won't fit in here. You need to you need to move on. And coaches and they listen to that. Last two questions out the gate. A lot of media types say Danny White won't deal with Jimmy Sexton. Jimmy Sexton clients. Do you find this to be true? The answer to that is no. Um, that's not true. Um, Danny White's going to hire whoever he can hire. Whoever the best clients are. Uh, there were Jimmy Sexton clients on his radar screen for this past coaching search. Um, not many of them were interested in the job, uh, but that's not true that Danny White will not deal with Jimmy Sexton. And the last question, AP, what does Tennessee's quarterback look like, board look like for 2023? Is Dante Moore at the top? I mean, I would say that, you know, Marcel Reed's at the top. You know, I just think that, you know, you, you have a tie in state. You know, I know he got his first taste of Knoxville this past week, but, you know, him being two and a half hours away, um, just makes sense to, to stay in state if you can. But, hey, they're going to recruit, you know, the best of the best at that position, and they're going to do that every year. Now, they may not get them all, but they're certainly going to try. Well, and the other thing, too, for, for that is what do they look like this fall, and how does that change anything? Now, most of the quarterbacks are going to all be off the board, you know, early and all that, but does, Rob, how they play offense this fall, does that change what quarterbacks think yeah. of Tennessee? <clears throat> I mean, I, I I said this on our last podcast, but after talking to Marcel Reed the other night, that kid is open to Tennessee. I mean, they're going to have to show him something. I mean, he's not just going to, you know, fall fall in the boat because of the in-state school. But he really liked Josh Heupel. He knew all about what South Florida or Central Florida had done, and he's he's waiting to see you know what they look like on the field in the SEC. And if they if they're if, you know if he likes what he sees, I think Tennessee will be in it like legit. All right, that's going to do it for the mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Don't forget, update on Walter Nolan coming up later today. Uh, more recruiting updates. Rodney Garner's been busy offering a couple of 22 defensive class of 22 defensive alignment. 
Uh, we'll get you update on some of that as well. Plenty of recruiting stuff, plenty of baseball stuff coming up. Lots of things going on at VolQuest.com. But that does it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis and Austin Price. I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.